0: If you have a Bible, please open it to John chapter 5, as we'll be reading from the first 18 verses of that this morning. Uh, we've spent a lot of time away from the book of John for the first uh, couple of weeks after I went on vacation. We had Pastor Richard and Pastor uh, Doug preaching uh, from the book of Haggai, and and then some throughout the month of February, some sermons through Proverbs. I pray that those were all beneficial for you. I know that at least the, the first two were beneficial to you. I, I listened to them. I didn't listen to any of mine, so I have no idea how uh, how beneficial those were, but I pray that God would use his word amongst us. So today we return to the, the gospel of John in the book of John, um, but we are doing something a little bit odd today as well. Uh, we are not going to be progressing Further through the book of John when we left on the 13th of January. uh, This is the precise passage that I preached. And I wasn't thinking that I could get away with a month and a half and then not have you remember it and then come back and preach the same thing over again. Although that might be useful uh, for your recall and you can tell me if you remembered any of it. Um, But we're actually going to do something a little bit different today. We want to look at the Sabbath. We want to talk through what it means for Jesus to have healed on the Sabbath, to talk through these issues of the Sabbath because the Sabbath is very highly misunderstood. Is the Sabbath today? Is this the Sabbath? Do we, and are we, and should we consider Sunday to be the Sabbath? Are we still to keep the Sabbath? Is it a a commandment that still is over the people of God. We know that we ought not murder. We know that we ought not steal. We know that we ought not commit adultery. Is the command over us to watch and to keep the Sabbath still upon us? And if so, how are we to keep the Sabbath? What should we go to? Uh, What kind of lengths should we go to to avoid work on the Sabbath if we are to keep it? Most of us probably don't want to keep it like many of our forefathers did. I'll give you a little excerpt of a famous book uh, from Laura Ingalls Wilder where she relates how her grandfather spent his time. I won't actually get to the funny part of the story, unfortunately, but go and read it. It's a good book. Um, But we will walk through this. This is, I think, a very common way that many of our forefathers, this would have been sometime in the the 19th century and the 1800s, spent their Sundays. Ingalls Wilder writes, Sunday morning, they ate a cold breakfast because nothing could be cooked on Sunday. They all dressed in their best clothes and walked to church. They walked because hitching up the horses was work and no work could be done on Sunday. They must, I love, I love this, they must walk slowly and solemnly, looking straight ahead. They must not joke or laugh or even smile. <laughs> Sinners. Grandpa and his two brothers walked ahead. And their father and mother walked behind them, presumably so they could see him goof off. In church, Grandpa and his brothers must sit perfectly still for two long hours and listen to the sermon. They dared not fidget on the hard bench. They dared not swing their feet. They dared not turn their heads to look at the windows or the walls or the ceiling of the church. They must sit perfectly motionless and never for one instant take their eyes from the preacher. It's not all bad. When the church was over, they walked home slowly. They might talk on the way, but they must not talk loudly, and they must never laugh or smile. At home, they ate a cold dinner, which had been cooked the day before. Then all, uh, then all the long afternoon, they must sit in a row on a bench and study their catechism until at last, and one might put in mercifully, the sun went down and Sunday was over. Uh, This is not how we spend Sundays in our house. I doubt highly it's how you spend Sundays in your house. So the question is, is this what we ought to be doing? Frankly, as we read through Scripture and as we read through the New Testament, most of us probably don't even consider what it would look like for us to keep the Sabbath or what the Sabbath looks like. For us, the Sabbath is just something that comes up in the New Testament where Jesus talks To the Jews about healing on the Sabbath or his disciples plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath. So, today, as we move into the text and specifically this sort of Sabbath controversy that rises up, I think it would be helpful to talk through the meaning of the Sabbath and what it should mean for us and what it meant as Jesus kind of comes into conflict with the Jews for it. And to answer these questions, as we think through the meaning of the Sabbath and the importance and the centrality of the Sabbath. We're going to try and answer three basic questions. The first of these is, what is the importance of the Sabbath to the Jews? As we begin, let us read this passage from John and see that the Sabbath was indeed very important to the Jews. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. First question for us to consider today from this text and from many other texts is, what is the importance of the Sabbath to the Jews? It is clear that the Jews considered the Sabbath of great importance. The question is, why? Why did they consider the Sabbath of great importance? First, Well, it was simply commanded by God. You are to keep the Sabbath. And this was not a light commandment. We don't think that any commandments of God are really light, but some are more foundational and some are more important than others. So you are not, the Jews were not, to eat a young goat boiled in its mother's milk, okay? But we don't think that that one is quite as important as saying, you shall have no other gods before me. So there were some commandments that are more foundational and carried with them more importance than the others. And certainly the Sabbath commandment is an incredibly important commandment because it finds its way into the final top ten, okay? So these are the ten commandments that you are to keep, and it makes its way all the way up to number four, okay? And plus... In addition to that, number four is sort of a hinge commandment. So the first three have to do with your relationship to God. The last six have to do with your relationship with man. And the Sabbath really has to do with both of those things, how you relate to the other slaves and your sons and your daughters and your wife and your neighbors and how you relate to mankind or to God as well. There are two basic places in the in the Old Testament where the Ten Commandments are sort of laid out for us, Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. And the most interesting bit about both Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20 is that in each one, when that commandment is given, there is a different, wholly different reason given for the commandment. So if we go to Deuteronomy 5, we read in verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Well, here it seems like the commandment is given in light of the redemption that God has given. He says, remember, you were a slave and I brought you out. Therefore, you are to rest every seven days. On the seventh day, it is a solemn day of rest for you and you are not to do work. No one in this land is to be doing work on that seventh day. Your whole life used to be built around work. That's what it meant to be a slave. Work was the defining characteristic of your life, but no longer. You were no longer a slave, and so you no longer work every day. You take a day off because I am your God. The implication here, I think, is that rest is meant sort of as an antithesis to slavery. The very work that they needed to do was work that they needed for life. As a slave, the Egyptians were in power over everything, so if the, if the Hebrews didn't work, They got nothing from them. But now, God is their master. So they no longer work to get what they need, but because God is all-powerful, just like the Egyptians were all-powerful, now God is all-powerful, and they're not working in that and resting in God. He will provide them with all of their needs. The resting shows that they trust God to provide them every day. This is why when he first gave them manna, Six days you are to go out and you are to collect manna, but you are not to go out on the seventh day. What you collect on the sixth day will be enough for you. There is this idea of God's provision for them. You don't need to be a slave anymore. I'm watching out for you. I'm giving you all the provision that you need. You don't work like slaves anymore. This tells us something about the nature of work that God has in mind. It is work that yields provision. It's work that speaks about a trust in God's being able to provide for you. For most of the Jews, this would have been agricultural work or work around the house to give you the needs and the provisions that you had to have. So you would cook food, you would build a fire, you would go out and you would harvest your field, and God says you can't do any of that. You need to trust one day out of the week, just one day, that I will give you all that you need for that day. When we come to the book of Exodus, though, the emphasis is wholly different. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. All that sounds eerily familiar. But next. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Totally different reason given. It has nothing to do with him redeeming you out of Egypt, but it has everything to do with the fact that God made the world in six days, and then on the seventh, he stopped. Right. So in Deuteronomy, if the emphasis is on redemption, in Exodus, the emphasis is on creation. So God works for six days. He's creating the universe. He's creating men and women. He's creating livestock. He's creating birds. He's creating plants. He goes through in six days. Every day he stops and he looks at his creation. He says, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. On the last day, after he makes mankind as the pinnacle of creation, he looks at it and he says that it is very good. That designation very good is not solely because he made man, okay? So don't think that he looked down at you and he thought, nailed it, Okay. He thought he nailed everything before then, okay? He nailed everything before then. You weren't exceptional in his production, as though God sort of lacked perfection before he made mankind. That's not what very good means. What very good means is his creation is now finished and complete. It was good before, but it wasn't finished. He had more to do. When he created man, it was finished and done, which then helps us understand what it means when it says God rested on the seventh day. When he rests on the seventh day, he doesn't rest because he needs a little R&R and his joints are a little achy. After all, if you've ever done gardening, you know how that can be. God didn't need to rest. What God needed was to stop creating because everything was finished and complete. And so you should read rest here almost as ceased. God ceased the work of creation. He created no more. His work in creation was done, and therefore he simply stopped, or according to the book of Genesis, he rested. So like God then, for six days, the Israelites are to work and to work and to work and to work, but they are to cease working on the seventh day. If the act in light of Deuteronomy 5 was an act of faith and an act of trusting that they would be provided for, even if they didn't labor on that day, Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 20, it's an act of identity. You are acting like God. You do the very things that God does. You do them in a lesser sense. I mean, their work was production. It wasn't like they were creating universes or anything, but uh, nevertheless, it is a symbol that they are acting like God. So, as God ceases, they should cease. Because of these two facts, Keeping of the Sabbath was an incredibly important thing. To do work on the Sabbath, to actually ignore the command of God and to go out and to harvest your field on the Sabbath was an obvious statement that you were not like God. It was an obvious statement that you're not a part of his people. It's an obvious statement that you didn't trust in God to give you all that you needed to survive. Therefore, as God's law repeatedly declared, those who break the Sabbath are to be put to death because they are not a part of God's people. They are not symbolizing their lives and identifying themselves with God, and they clearly do not trust in him. So Exodus 31, 14 through 15 says this, "'You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord.'" Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. And the repeated breaking of the Sabbath that happened as we moved toward the exile is one of the reasons for the exile. Jeremiah seventeen twenty-one through 23, thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your father's. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. So the Sabbath was one of the keenest ways that they would symbolize that they were God's people and that they trusted themselves to God. To break it was tantamount to idolatry and to a faithless act before God. It symbolized that they were not part of God's people and that they didn't have any care and trust in what God would do for them. Sabbath was a key symbol about Israel's relationship with God. So if you read through Deuteronomy, especially Deuteronomy 15 and 16, where the fourth command is sort of explicated by Moses, he goes through and he talks about all these sorts of Sabbaths that we have. The Sabbaths are are manifested in festivals. So the Passover is how long? It's a week long. And the last day of the Sabbath is exceptionally important because it's a solemn day of assembly, just like the Sabbath day is a solemn day of rest. You have the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, as a matter of fact, for the harvest. You have the Feast of Booths that lasts a week long as well. These were festivals, these were celebrations, but they were patterns that were built into the life of Israel. They were Sabbaths that were meant to be kept. So it's easy to see why, upon their return from the exile back to the Promised Land, why the Jews would take this seriously. They took it seriously because they learned the lesson of the exile, It showed that they took the law of God seriously and that they yearned to be devoted to God and holy like him. However, while it is clear why it was important, and their wisdom in seeking out to make that law important doesn't actually make them wise, their heart might have been in the right place, but their heads lacked true knowledge as to what the Sabbath was there for. So let us turn then to our second question, which is what is the relationship of the Sabbath to Jesus. Because Jesus is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. We read that in Matthew 12, 8. And that is, Jesus is the very God who put the Sabbath into action. He is the God who created all things, He is the author of life. And so when He said, I've rested from my act of creation, that was Jesus Christ who rested, the Son of God, who rested from creation. And what's more, as the Word of God, He is the very law of God. And so He has the right. He has the right over it. He has the right to interpret it and to make known what an appropriate understanding of the word work is. For instance, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Jews took the Sabbath with eager intensity But what they misunderstood and what they did was they misplaced the importance of man and the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to the Israelites for joy and happiness and goodness. The Jews were not given over to the Sabbath to obey it. It was a kind command of God. And what the Jews began to do when they multiplied all these laws and all the requirements for what you could and you couldn't do on the Sabbath, what they were doing was placing a burden on people, making it actually impossible to rest on the Sabbath because they were so burdened by the things that they couldn't do. Jesus corrects that. The question then becomes, can he abolish it? So he is correcting their understanding, but can he do more? Can he come and frankly redefine it? Can he do whatever he wants to on the Sabbath? The late B.B. Warfield, who is a scholar and a theologian at the turn of the 20th century, wrote this, The Sabbath belongs to him. He is the Lord of it, the master of it, for that is what Lord means. He may do with it what he will. He will abolish he can abolish it if he chooses. Warfield is a greater man than I am, but I think he's both right and wrong on that. He is right in the sense that Jesus has, as the author of the Sabbath, the right to do whatever he wants to with it. But he's wrong in the sense that because of the very nature of the mission of God, when he sent Jesus Christ to the earth, he sent him, as Galatians 4.4 says, under the law. That is, under the authority of the law. If he is to redeem us from the law, he must become subservient to the law, even though he is master over it. So while he is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath, he has to actually do what the law requires, which means Jesus had to uphold the Sabbath in all of his ways. Everything that he did had to have been an upholding of the Sabbath. So then, the question becomes, how does he actually keep it? If you read through the Gospels, you'll find a couple of controversies happening on the Sabbath. One is the disciples plucking heads of grain and popping them into their mouths on the Sabbath. And the Jews said, hey, that's work. And Jesus gave an explanation from Scripture as to why that's not work. The vast majority of the time, though, when these issues come up on the Sabbath, it's primarily around healing people. It's almost always around healing people. In many cases, Jesus seems to show himself innocent, either arguing from Scripture, as I said, supporting himself and defending himself. But in other cases, he seems to frankly flaunt the law. He seems to to put off healing for the Sabbath so that he can actually heal on the Sabbath just to poke the Jews, just to irritate them. Luke 13 is a really, really important passage in this. Now, as he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. It's a little weak-willed because he's yelling at an old woman instead of yelling at Jesus, who is actually the problem here, right? Like, you'll notice that he's not going right after Jesus, although Jesus was the one. She didn't come to Jesus. Jesus sought her out, and he healed her. She did, We hear nothing. She doesn't speak a word. She doesn't say, can you heal me? Thank you. Like, none, none of that. None of that happens. Jesus seeks her out and heals her, and then this guy goes to her and says, why didn't you come Friday to be healed? So, It's a little weak-willed, but you can understand why he says what he says. Jesus easily could have said to this woman, listen, we got like five more hours left. Can you hold on? 18 years, five hours is easy. Just hold on. When the sun goes down, it will be Sunday. And when Sunday comes, I can heal you all I want to. I'll heal you up and down, right? I'll heal you three times over, but just just wait. It's quite clear that most of these situations when Jesus is healing is not life or death. There's withered hands. There's lame people. There's blind people. People who have lived with this, according to Scripture, for decades. And yet still he heals them on the Sabbath. Jesus responds to him in Luke 13. You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham who Satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. I think that the ESV sort of blunts the very difficult way that Jesus actually says that. Perhaps a better way to put it is this. Isn't it necessary for this woman, being a daughter of Abraham who was bound by Satan for 18 years, to be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Isn't it supposed to be this way? Shouldn't it ought to be this way? Isn't it necessary for it to be this way? In other words, I don't think Jesus thought that healing on the Sabbath was breaking the Sabbath. I think he thought that healing on the Sabbath was the purpose of the Sabbath. This is the whole point of the Sabbath in his mind, to heal people. In John 5, Jesus takes a slightly different tact. Here he doesn't defend himself, but rather frankly implicates himself There's a whole bunch of words that Jesus could have used to describe what he was doing here. I was healing. I was helping. I was mending. On and on and on you go. But he doesn't. He picks the one word, the one word you can't use, the four-letter word that he couldn't have uttered on the Sabbath. He did work. He could have said anything else and explained that what he was doing wasn't work. But instead, what does he say? My father is working until now and I am working working. What can't you do on the Sabbath? Work. I don't know how you want to define it. I don't know how Jesus is defining it. Scripture is really unclear about how it's actually to be precisely defined, but the one thing you can't do, that you cannot do, absolutely cannot do, is work. Now, Jesus is a master of language. He understands everything that's going on around him. He understands how the Jews are going to interpret this. He understands how it sounds. And yet, all the same, he doesn't use any of those other words that we talked about, all of which were available to him. Instead, he says, I am working. Again, I think that he does this intentionally to poke the bear, if you will. His desire is to push them to think through the difference between work that ought to be done on the Sabbath and work that is never to be done on the Sabbath. Indeed, if we go back up, To Luke chapter 13, this is work that ought to be done on the Sabbath. It's work that needs to be done on the Sabbath. The second question is, given his definition of work, where does Jesus actually do work here? It's really difficult to see what he does. In John 9, he's going to make mud. Okay, so he's going to find some dirt, he's going to spit on it, he's going to make a little compact and put it on the guy's eyes and say, go wash. That's really, really lame work, but it's work, I suppose, right? Like, Here he does nothing. He literally does nothing. He doesn't lay his, even in in Luke 13, he's reaching out to lay his hands. He's just walking by and talking to the man. He, He just talks to him. What does he say? He says, get up, take your bed and walk. He simply speaks and it happens. The Jews speak more in this passage than Jesus spoke to make the miracle happen. If that is work, then the Jews are as guilty as anybody else. Where does Jesus actually do work in this text? The work, the work in the law seems to be, as we said, something about production, making, and, and not trusting God to make sure that your provision is given to you. It's work that slaves do that they weren't to do on those days. Healing was not part of that. Again, it seems like Jesus is using this word, to push the Jews, to rile them up. And while he is going to go from this, John's whole purpose in this is to talk about Jesus's divinity, that he works because the Father works, because his Father is uniquely his Father, Is also to get them to rethink what the word work might be. So what is the relationship between Jesus and the Sabbath? First, he needed to be kept to keep it in his redeeming mission. He couldn't just abolish it. He couldn't turn a blind eye to it. He couldn't say, it doesn't matter to me because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the master of the house, and I do what I want to, okay? So, this isn't the, the situation where a father looks at his children and says, listen, do as I say, not as I do, All right? Jesus had to do as he did, right? So, he, he had to keep the law. He had to keep the Sabbath on his redeeming mission. Secondly, healing was not a breaking of the law even though it ran against what the Jews thought should and shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. It wasn't a breaking of the law. Rather, Jesus seems to uphold it as the keeping of the Sabbath and the purpose of it. And thirdly, the work of healing here is modeled after what Jesus sees God doing himself. So that brings us importantly to the last question is what is the meaning of the Sabbath for us? First, we need to clear up some things at the periphery of the discussion which don't have a huge bearing on what we're talking about in the text, but nevertheless, it's important. First, the Sabbath wasn't a Sunday. And at no point in time in Scripture anywhere do we find an implication that the New Testament church looked at Sunday as the Lord's Day and said, oh, now we have the Sabbath. So you heard Laura Ingalls Wilder talking about her grandfather, and why weren't they allowed to hitch up the wagon to the horses on Sunday? Because It's work. Because they viewed Sunday as the Sabbath. Friends, Sunday is not the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. Saturday is the seventh day of the week, not Sunday. Now, the way we talk, we have officially changed in our lingo Monday to be the first day of the week, and that would make Sunday the seventh day of the week, but that's not ever how it is. Look at your calendars. There's a reason why Sunday is listed as the first day on your calendar. Sunday is not the seventh day. Saturday is the seventh day. This is not the Sabbath, Now, that doesn't mean that Sunday wasn't set aside as a special day for Christians. It should be, and it, it ought to be, and it always has been. It is the day that we hear the word of the Lord. It is the day that Christians began to gather together precisely because that was the day that the Lord was raised. But we have no indication anywhere in the New Testament that they thought of that as the Sabbath. It just wasn't the case. So, if you want to celebrate the Sabbath, if you want to do some sort of observance of the Sabbath do it on Saturday. Know that what you're doing should be done on Saturday. If you think that you ought not work, don't work on Saturday. Come to church on Sunday. Don't work on Saturday. But also you need to be reminded that the New Testament is emphatic on this. There is no reason for you to observe it at all. Romans 14:5. In talking about this controversy over meat and over other things, Paul says this: "One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. There's no way that the one day he's talking about there is not the Sabbath. And so he says, if you want to observe it, that's great. Be convinced that you ought to observe it. Your brother doesn't think he needs to. You cannot judge him. And the brother who doesn't observe it can't look at you and say, hey, you're just a legalist because you want to keep the Sabbath. It doesn't work like that. He says, let each one be convinced in his own mind and deal with it on their own. Okay? But even more emphatic is Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath was simply a shadow, but the reality is Christ. And he says, you don't have to keep it and let no one, that's such a weird way to, let no one pass judgment on you. Like such a weird way to put it. How, how do we keep people from passing judgment on us? But nevertheless, he says, no one should pass judgment on somebody else because they don't keep the Sabbath. Given that, I'm going to tell you, not against Paul, that you have to keep the Sabbath. Here's why. Jesus here says God is working until now. So God is working until now. Now we read, or you can read, from Genesis 2, that after those six days of creation, God ceased working and he rested but I think that we are to think of that rest only as a resting of creation, not as a resting from everything else that had to happen. And there's something important that happens only a couple of verses later, maybe the next chapter over, that might be important to what's going on here, and that is simply the fall. God's people plunge themselves into sin and it plunges creation into a ruin and it plunges humanity into depravity. And we are no longer part and parcel with God, but we are separated from him. So while God's work of creation was stopped, God's work of redemption began. And so when Jesus says, God is working, my father is working until now, he means he has indeed been working this whole time. God started to work by redeeming his people. He calls Noah and Abraham he pulls the people of Israel up out of Egypt. He drives the nations out of the Holy Land. He continually is gracious to his people by giving them judges that remove wretched people from among them and wretched nations from among them. More than that, when they have idolatry so so. Prevalent among them. God even kicks them out only to bring them back again the whole time. God is continuously warning, acting, moving among them. He is working for them to bring them Jesus Christ. He is working until now. So, what happens when Jesus comes, as we see again in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, is how they speak of the Sabbath. God might have stopped his act of creation, but he is already working through redemption. It was an end to the labor for them. When he sends Jesus Christ, it is an end for our labor as well. He pulls his people up out of Egypt and says, you are no longer slaves. When he redeems us, he pulls us out of slavery to sin and he says, you are no longer slaves. There is a rest that you have entered in from your slavery to sin. There is a rest from the labor of this world. You don't need to make it with me anymore. I have done it for you. You are to rest from that. What's more, God has given us his identity. Six days you will work, and the seventh you will take a break. You will rest from all of your work, not only trusting in his provision, but identifying yourself with him. The main way we identify ourselves with God now is through faith and trust and believe in Jesus Christ. This is why circumcision is gone. This is why Sabbath keeping is gone, because we don't need to identify with God with outward symbols, but with a renewed heart and vigor and love for God in our souls. That is how we keep the Sabbath. So resting every seventh day for the Jews was not simply a physical aid to give them a little R&R. Rather, it was a shadow of the rest that they could never have that was only going to fully come in Christ. It was a promise of a day when that rest would be fully achieved, not just weekly. Even the weekly nature of it implies that it was never truly full for them then. On Sunday, as many of you are approaching going back to work, don't tell me that as the clock ticks closer and closer and closer to bedtime, you don't think, oh, I've got to get up again in the morning. When I was in high school, I hated Sundays because I knew I had a pile of work that I didn't do on Friday night, I didn't do on Saturday night, I didn't do on Sunday morning, I didn't do on Sunday afternoon, I didn't do it at 6, I didn't do it at 7, I didn't do it at 8. And I knew it was coming when I would have to stop doing what I was doing and do that homework, and I hated every minute leading up to it. I hated it and it wasn't restful because I knew work was coming. For the Jews, there's no doubt. No matter how restful Saturday might have been for them, Sunday was coming. There was more work to do. There's a promise of a day when there was rest, but there was no actual rest. Therefore, what do we find Jesus doing? He's healing us on the Sabbath. These people, whether it's a a woman who is wrecked in her body, whether it is a man who is lame in his legs, whether it is a man who is blind in his eyes, these probably not of their own sin, but just because they have been born into a world filled with sin, it's a fallen condition. What does Jesus do when he heals them? What is he doing? He is fixing the fall. He is fixing what has gone wrong. He is redeeming them. Jesus removes the symptom of sin in the world. That promise is made sure with the advent of one who could help us heal fully and finally. These are small depictions of the fact that God has removed the effect and the power of sin from the lives of people. He heals this man, gives him legs to walk, and then turns to him and says, Go and sin no more. There is rest for this man. Even while, ironically, he can now do more. So, we uphold the Sabbath. We don't do it by taking Saturday off. But we do it rather by knowing that our salvation, both from the power and the effects of sin, are real and true in our lives. Every day is the Sabbath to us. Because we have rested from our sin. We have rested from our efforts to make our way before God. We have rested from all of the things that have kept us from God. We rest from those things and we trust in the provision of Jesus Christ and we trust that our identity is safe and secured in Christ. Therefore, we have a rest that the people of Israel were never able to have. The author of Hebrews looks at this idea of rest and he looks at it from the the very foundation of the nation and he says, you know, they never got rest when they went into the promised land. And we read later in a psalm of David, centuries after that, that God still holds out a rest for people who aren't disobedient. The book of Hebrews says this, We who have believed enter that rest. For as he said, I swore on my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That is, the people who were disobedient in the waters of Meribah don't get to enter into God's rest. None of them got to enter into his rest. Although his works, the author continues, were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, March 3rd, 2019. That, that's not what the author of Hebrews said, but that's true. Saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In other words, we find nowhere the full rest coming to the people of Israel. Saturday is but a hint and a shadow of it. It is never the full rest. Joshua couldn't give it to them, but a better Joshua did. So, enter the rest. We don't need the shadow. We don't need to observe the shadow. We have the real thing. Uphold the Sabbath by not working anymore, by knowing your assurance in Jesus Christ that he has died for your sins and raised you so that you are no longer living in sin anymore. The power of sin is broken over you. Just like this man who gets up and walks around, the power of sin in his life is gone. It has no more effect over his legs. The man who can see can take light into his eyes and make sense of it with his brain because sin no longer has power over that part of him and God has done this for you in Jesus Christ. No longer present your bodies as instruments to sin, but as weapons of righteousness, Paul says. Sabbath in the Old Testament was a building block for almost everything. It organized the labors of the Israelites, giving shape to their work week. Six days you will work, and the seventh you will have off. It formed a pattern of economics every seventh year. Slaves were to be be set free. Any debt that was over an Israelite man was relinquished. Imagine that. Some of you have credit card debt, and you're thinking, right, that was really good. It formed a pattern of celebration. The Passover was a celebration over the course of a week with the Sabbath, a time of solemn assembly. The Feasts of Weeks and the Feast of Booze were the same. Time and time again in those passages in Deuteronomy 15 and 16, God says, Rejoice! Rejoice! All these things pointed toward a resting, complete and total, from the slave labor that the Israelites knew. Not because they had earned it but because it was given to them by the redemption of God pulling them out a God who worked until it was completed and then he rests And so Christ has redeemed us from our slavery so friends listen well to the words of Hebrew Hebrews where he writes let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience so friends do you know how You do honor to God by resting on the Sabbath. How are you to observe the Sabbath? You strive. You work so that you can finally one day enter the rest of God. Put off the sin among you. Live in holiness before him and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ who is himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Father, On this Lord's Day, we gather to hear the great work of your Son, Jesus Christ, as he has secured salvation for your people. This salvation is no less than our rest from our slavery to sin and life as your people forever. Give us strength and desire to resist sin in our flesh and to love you with all our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. For this is the fulfillment of the Sabbath achieved for us by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us come to him and gain true contentment, contentment and rest. We pray for these things, for your glory and our good, in the name of our Lord. Amen.